is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates hobby talk like you never seen it. Sports cards live and nothing could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, everybody, here we go. Welcome to episode number 201 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, October the 7th, 2023. My name is Jeremy Lee. And as always, I want to thank last week's guest, Mike Baker, and everybody who joined. Feel free to check that out on the YouTube channel or on podcast. That was an excellent episode. I do recommend you go back and take that in if you have not yet. Also want to let everybody know, next Saturday, there will not unfortunately be an episode. I will be in Las Vegas. And the Saturday after that, I am also not going to be doing a show. I will also be unavailable. So a couple weeks off, but there will be other action here on the channel. And I would like to ask you to join Close to half a million people who have downloaded the Center Stage app across both iOS and Android for quick comps and card management features. The app is the fastest and most accurate ad card shows or at home to help you price your cards. You can build, organize, and share your collection with your friends and other collectors to follow using their social sharing features. They have grading partnerships and marketplace features are coming soon. So check out their Instagram account and join me in supporting the great team they have and the innovation that they are undertaking. Also want to shout out Leighton Sheldon, Just Collect. He'll be joining us for the Vintage Spotlight feature. And also want to thank everybody who stopped by the Tag Grading booth at the Del Mar Show today and will be there tomorrow. Tag Grading, you can join the Discord and the Facebook group from join, visiting the website, taggrading.com, and the Communities tab. Also, I want to thank Nick and Larry from Sports Cards Madness Podcast. They had me on, and that pod, I believe, dropped today. Also, Greg Langto and Cody from Mojo Breaks Podcast for having, having me on their show this week. So, Cody from Mojo Breaks, Greg Langto from his podcast. And then finally, also, I want to thank Sportsnet 650 Vancouver for having me on their radio show, Pastime Radio, the collectibles show. That was this afternoon. Also, thank you to all Sports Cards Live sponsors and partners and all of you loyal viewers and listeners. If you are not yet subscribed to the YouTube channel or the podcast, please take a moment and do so. As always tonight, your comments, your questions are in play. So let's get to it. Tonight's guest, he started in the hobby collecting New York Yankees and New York Mets cards in the 60s. And in the 70s and 80s, he started doing licenses for players with Tops and Cy Berger. His favorite team right now is the Arizona Diamondbacks, his favorite athletes of all time. Mickey Mantle, Muhammad Ali, Joe Namath, and Julius Irving. That's a Mount Rushmore right there. Originally from Westchester, New York, currently hailing from Scottsdale, Arizona. Let's bring him out. Ray Dolte. Welcome to Sports Cards Live, Ray. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Oh, Ray, you're welcome. You know, we I, I feel like I've known you for a while, a couple of years yeah. anyway. We see each other at, at all the card shows. You're always... You, you're, 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 you're there. You're at the shows. You're doing what you do. We'll get into what you're doing, but I feel like it's a long time coming. So thanks for making the time. And, uh, and it, it's good to have you. It's a good follow-up to when we had the new management team from the national on the show about six weeks ago. So again, good to see you. So it's, it's a long time coming, as I say. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, we see each other all the time at various shows throughout the country, Toronto. Um, and, uh, 
It's always it's always great because I always I, I enjoy watching people like yourself who are really engaging um, and really take the time, whether you're educating somebody, whether you're trying to find out some information, um, and, and you just have an, an ability about communication and uh, being authentic. And those are two things that are critical uh, if we're gonna have a community in a hobby. Oh, thanks, I, pre I appreciate the kind words. It means a lot coming from a, a veteran like yourself. Let's get a bit into your, your hobby history. I mean, you started out collecting as a kid, but tell us a little bit, a bit about some of your earliest experiences of opening those original packs of Topps trading cards. Yeah, I grew up in a middle-class neighborhood in Westchester County. And, uh, you know, there was a, the kids that bought the, the packs, you know, the Topps packs the, with the bubble gum. And, uh, but we did it really just because we wanted to flip cards uh, and play with them, put them in our spokes. And uh, even though we were collecting, you know, I, I was a catcher as a kid. So, you know, guys like, uh, you know, Elston Howard and uh, Thurman Munson, those are guys that I gravitated to. And obviously growing up in Westchester, it was the Yankees. Now, a lot of people don't realize that, like when I grew up in the Westchester, we didn't get down to Yankee Stadium that often. And so, you know, collecting cards kind of brought us closer to the game itself. And, and so it was, it was fun. But, uh, you know, I also collected Beatles cards. And, you know, looking back, I probably had a couple of mantles too. But I, I, don't, I don't regret any of that. I mean, it was, I have such fond memories of, 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 of how those cards brought us together and, and how we went home each night wondering, like, or, or looking at what we had and what we, what we, what we took from our friends and in terms of winning. And, and so it was, it, you know, it's all about memories. And for me, you know, that's what the hobby's about. But back then, it, it was just a, it was just a great. Then I went into high school and, and, uh, and then college. And, and I kind of drifted away from sports after college because I felt like I was just burnt out. And, and then I just, then for some reason I got back into it, but it wasn't really collecting. It was more so just, uh, you know, just enjoying the sports. And uh, I didn't have, like growing up, I didn't have card shows. I didn't have uh, hobby shops per se in my town. So I didn't get to enjoy that and get educated and, and move on. We, it was all independent pretty much so. And, you know, we did it on the, on the, you know, in, in eighth grade, you know, we did it on the playground, you know, and, but that was the extent of it. So. What, what I like is that, you know, you're not somebody I don't believe who's been immersed in the hobby your whole life, but when you did get into it in around, I mean, we'll get to it, but I believe in around 2013 or so, uh, you know, you had the familiarity, you had, you had that, the nostalgia that, that I talk about a lot. And we all, a lot of collectors, most people watching, we understand the nostalgia. So, you know, it's, it's nice to know that, you know, you, you, when you did get back into it, you weren't someone who had never collected sports cards. You know, it's something that you probably, it must've really been like, Oh, this is something that I can get into again now, you know, maybe at a, a corporate sort of level or a promotional level, because, I remember collecting cards as a kid. I, I loved it, chewing the gum, flipping the cards against right. the walls, like you said. You know, that's uh, yeah, it's really cool. And and when I did get into it, it was it was pretty much when I was uh, I went to New York City and I started working for an ad agency called J. Walter Thompson, and it's it's probably at the time the largest in the world. And so my responsibility was to I was an account exec, 
and my responsibility was to go out and secure talent. And, um, and then, you know, th this one project we were working on, uh, they asked me to, I, I pretty much, we knew who we wanted. It was Sugar Ray Leonard. And we wanted Sugar Ray Leonard Jr. too for this hot cocoa commercial. And so it was my task to go after him. And so I, I you know, did do the due diligence and found his agent as an attorney in Baltimore. And I contacted him and, uh, Many of, many of the younger people may not realize this, but Sugar Ray Leonard was a really, really hot commodity back then with 7-Up and a number of other. He was, he was red hot. And so when I talked to his attorney, he basically said, yeah, we're interested. He sent me an 8x10, and he sent me a one-page bio. And at that point in time, I just said to myself, you know, this is in the early 80s by this time. I just said to myself, you know what? Uh, I've had the experience of, of kind of packaging and branding, let's say a box of hot cocoa from, from start right through to retail sale. I'd like to do that with athletes. And at the time, I was really young at the time, and, and I was on a kind of a fast track in the ad agency. But, uh, you know, I, I, I felt like there was something that I wanted to do. And I wanted to package athletes just like, you know, we were packaging hot cocoa. And I, and, so, you know, back then, like there was only a couple of agencies, maybe ProServe, IMG, but they were for more like tennis and golf. And there was no real agency for athletes for like baseball, football, per se. And, and so I decided that's what I, I, I got it in my mind. That's what I'm going to do on a chance meeting via friend in Clearwater, Florida. I got to meet Pete Maravich and and Pete and I, we talked for four hours. Where, I, as I say, Pete let me talk for four hours, because Pete was, you know, I was telling Pete what I, you know, what I did, and he he was so fascinated. But what I did in terms of how we package and how we present and how we sell, and he said to me, he goes, Ray, I wish I had somebody like you when I was when I was playing. And I said, well, why is that? He goes, well, I didn't have somebody. I had my my dad and a, and an old uh, attorney that we had, and that was it. He goes, I'd be a millionaire if I had somebody like you. And so I said to him right on the spot, I said, well, that's what I want to do, Pete. I said, I really want to package athletes. And he, he goes, well, well, if you're interested, I'm going to connect you with my partner. He, he was running a basketball camp in Clearwater. And his partner um, was a name guy, name of Jim Crevax. And he was uh, All-American at uh, University of Texas basketball. And at the time, he was, a young, he was a real young guy, too. At the time, for some, whatever reason, he was representing about 30 uh, baseball players, you know, A, double A, triple A, no, no, nobody in the major leagues yet. And so he said, talk to, uh, talk to Jim. And, and, and uh, he called him up. So I met with Jim the next day. And I said, Jim, I'd like to, I'd like to work on all the things off the field. And you can obviously work with the field contract. And that will give you more time to do more, more, more uh, contracts and, and secure more players and all that. So Jim goes, that's a great idea. He goes, I got to present it to my board. He had about 10 guys on his board. He goes, come back with a, uh, with a, uh, with a plan. And so I went back to New York I, and I devised a, 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 a business plan, which took me six months because we didn't have computers like we have here. And I did everything by hand. And I came down, presented to them. Within half through my, halfway through my presentation, they said, we're going we're gonna, to... Uh, we're going to bring you on. We want. We're going to support you. We're going to, you know, back you in terms of this endeavor. 
and that's how I got started. And I quit my job, and I, uh, <laughs> it was funny because I was walking down the aisle of my, my um, uh, ad agency. I, I was thinking to myself, all these people on both sides are more experienced and, and smarter than I am. Why am I doing this? And, you know, and, and, and it was really, and I, and I say this to a lot of the young people, it was really from the gut, it was the passion. And, and you, you got to act on that. You just, you can't let that slide by. I'm so happy I didn't. I'm so happy I, I activated it. And so I started and Don Mattingly was one of, was one of Jim's clients. Uh, he was only in AAA at the time. But I was in New York still, and and you know, so Donnie was one of my first clients. Uh, Harold Reynolds, uh, uh, you know, Spike Owen, Howard Johnson, a whole number of them. Uh, Steve Carlton was was I got to know because of this, and so it was great. And I started out, and uh, I just realized that it wasn't going to be as easy as I thought. But you know, I had I, I had the you know, just the, the passion enough to keep going. Fortunately, I got a relationship with Adidas. Adidas was going from a boutique agency to YNR, which is an international agency. And so they were going through a transition. So they asked me to come in and make that transition. So that kind of got me through the first couple of years, but it, it just kept going until, you know, I started working with other players. I got, uh, I got to work with the, the leagues. And, and at that time too, in the eighties, that's when licensing really exploded, you know, and there was a real uncertainty in terms of, you know, who can do what? I mean, uh, I, may, I can't tell you how many trips I made to the, the Players Association I can't, and to Major League Baseball because nobody was on the same page. And we, representing players, you know, we needed to get some answers. And so I got to know the, the union and I got to know the, uh, the MLB really, really well. And then uh, when they, when the Major League Baseball got the idea of creating a fan fest, they came to me first. They came, Ray, you know, we're, we're creating this fan fest. Uh, we're, they were actually going to do it in Chicago in 90, but they didn't have enough time, so we pushed it back to 91 in Toronto. And I, my responsibility was to bring in exhibitors, ho hobby guys, and also licensees, and kind of make a show within a show. And so that's how that that kicked off for me, and I did that. Ended up doing that for ten years for Major League Baseball, but with that, the NFL came to me and they wanted me to work with them. So I had four years, four Super Bowls. I did nine NHL All Star games and nine NBA All Star games. And again, I was working with the hobby, and although it wasn't really it wasn't really presented that way back then because nobody really knew what was going on, but. There, it's funny, even at the National now, I go around and there's, there's people that used to exhibit with me at these league shows and, they, and, they, and I haven't talked to them since we did the shows and it's so refreshing to, to, to hear and, and also to know that they've been successful since that time. So that, that indirectly got me into the hobby. And, and then again, with working with all my players, you know, again, the 80s was, was a time when there was a lot of forged signatures. There was a lot, lot of unlicensed uh, merchandise, and so I was always protecting the players, making sure you know that uh, you know that everybody knew uh, that that wasn't my player's signature. Or, or working, with, I I work closely with Major League Baseball in terms of their their um, their uh, program that they have today, 
And so that, again, and, but working with the players, uh, I did it to, to protect the players, but I also did it to maximize opportunities for them. You know, signings and licensing and signings with licensing. And um, so it was, it was really, a, really a, an exciting time for me. And it's one of those things where you're just navigating and you, you don't really know because there's really not been a path like that taken before. And so I was working with the athletes and the leagues and the, and the PA. So it was, it was really kind of fascinating. And it, and it goes on from there, but, you know, uh, it's, it's a long story. Well, well, we'll get into a bit more. I want to go to, I want to go to some comments. I have some follow-up questions for you. We're going to start with the follow-up. So, you know, in the early eighties, when you got into the, the business with J Walter Thompson, and it seems to me like you were perhaps on the cutting edge of, you know, player endorsement deals, that sort of thing. And up until then, what was that landscape like for these players? Were they being treated fairly? Were they getting ripped off here and there? And were you somebody who came in and kind of, you said you were looking out for them, but just how much of an impact did you and maybe some others that were doing what you were doing after you, what kind of impact did you guys have on that, the landscape of player deals? Well, that's a good point. And, and, and just to make clear, there were other agents that I worked with throughout the country that we were, we were all, it, it, we needed to do that because, you know, John Boggs is an agent. Uh, he, re, he, he represented Tony Gwynn, and he, he's got a whole number of other athletes out of San Diego. John and I used to talk all the time, um, you know, and, 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 and about four to five other agents. And we would just figure out, like, what's going on? You know, you know well, if we did something, I would let the other agents know about it and vice versa. Just so we, you know, we we could create a path that we could feel comfortable with, but back then, you know, there was there was questions about, you know, what Major League Baseball would permit you, permit you to use. Like in other words, at one point, they were saying, you know, you can't obviously you can't use the marks. Um, they were saying you can't use the pinstripes, which was false. But you know, and it comes down to artwork and all the all these questions that, you know, in the past, you know, Major League Baseball and the Union were just doing it and just, you know, I wouldn't say getting away with it, but, you know, there was nobody challenging them. And so for us, we were going back and saying, well, you know, there's, there's a Coca-Cola wants to do this with, uh, with, you know, three of our players and all that, while the Union would say, well, you know, that's a highlight agreement and, you know, and, and, and they would challenge it. And so, it was a lot of things of just redefining or actually defining uh, what the players could do. But, you know, photographs, um, you know, posters were big back then uh, and, and, you know, bobbleheads and, and a lot of things that, uh, that were really come to question. And, you know, a, a friend of mine, and, and I, won't, uh, I won't name names, but it got to the point where they said to me, you know what, if you come to us, and you ask us if you can do something, we're going to say no. And so <laughs> it made it a little bit more difficult because, you know, um, not so much, you know, basically what they were saying was, listen, we're not going to let somebody come in and do something and say yes to it. And, you know, because what happens is once it leaves the office, it can be interpreted a million different ways. So the easiest way to do it is just to say no. Uh, when there's when there's a, a, cir a circumstance which is that needs to be clarified, and so it was really really challenging but exciting at the same time, 
And you know, we, you know, back then, you know, remember Daryl Strawberry, Dwight Gooden, um, all these guys, Mark McGuire, we're, we're all part of this like growth period of, uh, of the 80s. And, and they all, uh, Jose Canseco even, um, they, they all kind of, you know, were, were looking to branch out and do things, but they, they had to have the proper direction because, you know, otherwise you could turn around, you get sued and, and, um, and, and, and you negate a great opportunity. Yeah. Well, interesting stuff for sure. Uh, Orlando, a collector's dream says awesome background and experience. Thanks Ray for sharing your story. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great story. Dave Marino, the groundwork Ray has laid is incredible, truly foundational. And uh, Merle World says, who is responsible for the junk wax era explosion, Ray? Was it you? Uh, uh. Just kidding. But uh, good stuff. Also want to say hello to uh, Justin Bode, Jake Dahl, Paul Macheri. Welcome to the show. Mike, good to see you as always. Jeff McMahon, vintage card collector, Perk, Chad Shipper. So good to see everyone. What's up, Dave Marino? Great to see you, buddy. Jeff McMahon, good night to be a Diamondbacks fan, Ray. 7 nothing lead over the Dodgers. Very good, very good. Stukes in the house. What's going on, Justin? Yeah, it's all about the memories and structure, baby. Gary Cooper is the man, the poster over what is your left shoulder. Rich Klein is here, says, always glad to hear Ray speak. And a great move by the National to keep uh, you and Megan for continuity. Very nice. Kamikaze, uh, well, I don't know what that's about. 90s Hockey Collector, good evening to you. Pistol Pete, there we go. Brendan Ryan, hello to you as well and uh okay well yeah oh the professor is here glad yeah this is episode number 201 ray you're the you're the beginning of the next era the post diamond episode era right there mookie chilson says dwight gooden had a big deal with toys r us i bought all the spalding gear there yeah you're nodding like you remember that jim what's going on good to see you live been a while and on campus sports cards hello to you anything you want to follow up with there ray no, I mean, I think, I think, uh, you know, for me, it was an exciting time and uh, it's great to hear people, you know, recall that because, <laughs> you know, it was, it, it, it were some great memories, but uh, yeah, we were, we were part, you know, Mattingly was part of Toys R Us and, uh, but, you know, that's a good, that's a good uh, topic because, you know, back then there wasn't anything out like there is now. I mean, th- you know, licensing back then was really, it was, it was, it came out from the dark really. And it kind of exploded. And so like Toys R Us took advantage of it and other companies took advantage of it, but they had to make sure they got the player's license to it. And that's when the, uh, the PA stepped in and the league stepped in and, you know, or if I had, I had a company that wanted to do something that needed the, uh, the MLB marks, I would take them to MLB and make sure that they heard the, you know, the entire story. And hopefully if it was a good enough deal for my players, I, you know, we, I try to talk them into giving them that, that, uh, that license. And, and then I go over to the, go over to the, um, you know, PA and I, I can't tell you how many meetings I had with Donald fear, uh, and his team, um, in terms of, again, you know, because they, they didn't even know it kind of, it kind of spurred in terms of, you know, you can't, you know, the players are looking at it saying, hey, um, well, yes, we are union. We are, we are, we understand the concept of union. We understand we're all together, but there are a lot of individual opportunities and there are all also maybe individual plus maybe two or three other players in that package to make it worthwhile for the, you know, for the client to, to, to proceed with the product. 
And so we had a lot of negotiating. We had a lot of talks, and um, but it, it all worked out for the best. And, and I think, you know, uh, you know, uh, years go on, and I, there's so many. It was, it was so enjoyable to work with licensees back then. I don't know. If, I mean, if you look at it today, there's, there's very, very, very few licensees the way we knew it. I mean, hell, when I, when I took Cal Ripken through his Hall of Fame, we had 36 licensees for three QVC shows. Um, and, and that was, you know, that was just for Cal. Uh, but there was like over 100 licensees back then. And there was, it was fun. It was enjoyable. And I also always thought that the licensee aspect of it really kind of was a grassroots um, growth for the for the sport whether it's football baseball whatever and you know sometimes major league baseball would look at it that way others you know depends upon how much money was generated but uh, there were a lot of good people out there and and I enjoyed working with it with all the agents and and the players and you know obviously you know the times have changed where now you have major sponsors coming in and, and just taking multiple, multiple categories. And so the leagues don't need those little small mom and pop uh, licensees anymore. And that's a shame, but that's, you know, nothing that you can do about it. That's the way it is today. That's the way it is. Well, let's, uh, let's skip ahead now and talk about how you got involved with the National Sports Collectors Convention uh, back in, I believe, 2013 and how, you know, Mike Burkus, who was the, uh, the leader of the management team back then until, uh, you know, until his passing, uh, how did you get involved with that? And tell, tell us that story. Well, just back up a little bit. I was in, I was in Arizona at the time. I was down here in Arizona with Buck Showalter. And, uh, and then Buck got fired and, and, and I was here. And, and I, I, I said, I, I found my dream house. I found the, you know, the house that I want to retire in uh, because I love the area so much. And then um, at, the, at the 2001, uh, Cal asked me to represent him, and so I I said sure yeah why not yeah uh, and 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 so I started working with him. I was I was based out here. I traveled to Baltimore back and forth, back and forth, and finally he said Ray I I, I need you here. So I had to move to Baltimore, uh, which wasn't it wasn't that bad. It just had a you know I, I had to leave my dream house behind and and sell it. But uh, I got there and I represented Cal for ten years. And I had my son, Ryan, and at that time, uh, my wife, uh, was, uh, she got a job down in D.C. with uh, CSN Sports uh, Washington. And so I'd, 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 I'd left, uh, I left Cal, and, and uh, it was 2000, uh, 2009, I was out in Cleveland, and I was out there on business, really, with some other players, and, and, and I saw Mike Burkus, and I've always, I always knew Mike. Uh, to say hello to, because I, I, he was always one of my guys that I that I thought that I liked to converse with, and and just you know he was a good guy to be around. So anyway, he said, "Listen, you know, you're in Baltimore." I said, "Well, kind of now. Uh, I'm moving a little bit." But uh, he goes, "Yeah," and uh, he goes, "Well, we're doing Baltimore next year." And he goes, w "Would you be interested in doing the?" you know, um, communications uh, side of it and work with the, ma the mass media, work with, you know, um, you know credentials and, and, uh, and help us. And, and I, I said, can I think about it? And, and, uh, and I said, you know, I'm really interested. So the next day I called him back. I said, yeah, yeah, what do you want me to do? And so it, it was kind of a leap for me because I, I didn't know what to expect. 
but I did know Baltimore, and I, and I did know I had a good feel for the hobby, and I and I knew I trusted Mike, and uh, and so um, yeah, I started I started working as a director of communications for the for the national in 2010 in Baltimore. Uh, we had a great show. Uh, I mean, obviously there were a lot of things that uh, you know went along with that, with the new stadium and and the All Star Game there. Um, but we we did we did really well, and and so he goes, well, you want to do it next year? I said, okay, and uh, and so we did it next year. And then we're going back to Baltimore. So anyway, to make a long story short, it, it was just like it, it, he never even asked me if I was going to do it again. He just assumed that I was coming back, and uh, and I I just assumed he'd have me back. So there was really there was real. We never had a contract. Um, we, we never, we never, um, had a one year or, or, or anything. It was just, it was just based on his word and, and, and I, I miss him to death because he was one guy I trusted implicitly and, and he gave me so much respect and, and, and really, really listened to my ideas that I had. Now, you know, back then there wasn't a lot of, you know, situations where, you like take a lot of risk, but having said that, you know we 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 talked about you know uh, it was all Mike uh, who brought in the main stage, and he had, he had a reason for it, and he and he had a vision, and and it's really actually worked out. And Great, he also yeah. he, he's also he also talked to me about uh, you know he introduced me to David Gelfman uh, and said we're doing a Breakers Pavilion. Uh, I said, okay. Uh, and so, uh, but he knew it. And Mike was one of the guys where, you know, if he called, you know, I would just drop everything, pick up the phone. And, 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 and you usually just don't do that. But I, I just enjoy talking to him. I mean, because he just got me stimulated in terms of, you know, just life, life in general. It didn't, it wasn't just a hobby. And so we had a great relationship. And so, after that, I just, you know, I started making uh, uh, other relationships and with, uh, with various people. And I, and I saw, uh, back, even back then, I saw the community and I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. And I thought I, thought I felt like I had something to offer because I, I was very versed in the media. I mean, I, I, I knew how to buy media. I knew how to promote and I knew the athletes and, and the corporate people. So I had, I had this feeling of, you know, understanding the situation. And I felt like I could make a contribution. And so we just, we just kept going. And so that's how, I, that's how I got involved in it. And, uh, and again, as of today, um, you know, I still well, hold on. I got, I'm going to, I'm going to stop you right there. Cause I Leighton, Leighton is in, I want to bring Leighton up and he's on a tight schedule tonight. So hold your thought though. I think I think I picked a good spot to to break in. So let's bring Leighton on. Leighton's in a in a new environment uh, again. Leighton, well, welcome. This is the vintage spotlight. Leighton Sheldon of Just Collect. And Leighton, I just want to, before you even say, I just want to say uh, I really enjoyed Trading Card Therapy episode number forty six. I listened to that uh, yesterday. Really great episode. But welcome to the show. You know Ray. Say hello to each other, fellas. Hey Ray, how are you today? Yeah, Leighton, uh, Jeremy, you know, Leighton is one of the one of the few people that you have to introduce. You just say Leighton. Everybody knows Leighton. And, That's and right. He's got such a great reputation out there. But, uh, no, it's great to see you again. Good to see awesome. you as well, Good stuff. Good stuff. So, Leighton, I, I know that you're on a bit of a tighter schedule tonight. So, But I do want to, uh, first of all, you know, 
say thanks for taking the time. Thanks for coming on, everybody. Follow Layton, Layton underscore Sheldon, just underscore collect his podcast, Trading Card Therapy. Now, I had an idea of some things I wanted to talk about with you tonight, but I, as I do, I want to give you a chance to ask Ray a question. I want to give Ray a chance to ask you a question. So why don't we start with you, Ray? What sort of question do you have or what kind of idea would you like to bounce around with Layton tonight? One of the things that, that uh, struck me, and it's a few years ago, I don't know if you remember this, Leighton, but um, yeah, I, 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 I know you as being vintage and, 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 and doing what you do, but you were, you were really talking to me about kids. And I just want to hear a little bit more about your thoughts on kids. Even though you're in a totally different category, you still have the frame of mind uh, to to kind of understand that that the kids are real important to the hobby. Yeah, listen, it's a great question, Ray. And you know, it's interesting. I was trying to arrange uh, a play date with one of my son's classmates recently, and uh, the woman happens to be the class mom of my son's class, who is in third grade. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because uh, I was talking about doing a play date at my store, uh, just collect in Milburn. And I said, oh, I don't know if your, your son collects Pokemon or sports cards, but we can, you know, meet here and like take him to the park after. And she said, oh, I think that'd be great. My son's really into Pokemon. She said, by the way, do you happen to know or have heard about the dad at last year's um, end of the school year picnic that was giving out baseball cards and Pokemon because apparently it was the biggest hit. Now, it turned out it was me. And even though I was flattered that <laughs> she didn't realize that she was talking about me, Ray, it gives me a lot of hope for what's going on. I mean, listen, my son's young. So I remember collecting cards at that age. The fact that kids care about what's going on with baseball cards, they care about what's going on with Pokemon. And even if it's not the same as you and I did, right? Like we fill up our nine pocket sheets, everything changes, right? You know, we grow and mature, but make no mistake. I think that the kids are interested. I think it's a little bit different from when we were kids, right? Maybe it was a little bit more pogs and sports cards versus Pokemon and sports cards. Um, but I, I do think it's very healthy what I'm seeing, and I'm really excited about the future. Well, I knew I knew that you were really, I mean, authentic about this because I don't know if you remember this, but a couple of years ago you sent my son a starter kit. I do remember. And, and it had a number of cards in there, and it was, and it was kind of like some explanations. And he actually really spent the time to 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 look at it and and try and try to figure out if that's something that he was interested in. But I've always said, that, and he and he always he really appreciated. It. I always said that you know Leighton gets it, you know, and 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 I know that uh, I, I know even though with all the, the the top load business you have, I know kids are so important to you. Oh, very much so. I mean, listen, you know, my son's eight, and I feel like I see his little classmates running around and. I just think it's really great for the hobby to see such young, you know, kids interested in a variety of different aspects, whether it be sports, Pokemon, or other. It's a great thing. It's a great thing keeping the kids. You know, I like I like these these. You know, you were giving them out at a birthday party, Leighton, and I always tell people always say, "What can we do with all of our base cards that nobody wants? Put them in team bags of ten and give them out on give them out on Halloween. It's a real nice thing to do. You you might become the most popular house in your neighborhood." If you, if you go ahead and do that, I've been doing it for 15 years now or so, and I uh, get people coming back year over year. It's, and it's funny when they say, oh, can I have one for my dad too? I'm like, of course you can. <laughs> yeah, sure. Here's a few. I've always, I've always got extras. Layton, did you have anything that you wanted to run by Ray tonight? 
I do. Uh, it actually happens to be something I mentioned, you know, yesterday or excuse me, a few days ago on trading card therapy. Um, and so, Ray, I'm curious if you feel that if we figured out a way to take something as big as, for example, the national, you know, the big uh, sports convention that we have every year in our hobby, if we figured out a way with that convention and a few of the other big conventions to take some of that data of the cards that are being sold and transacted at these particular big conventions like the national, if we figured out a way to incorporate that, whether it be like into card ladder, sports card investor, or vintage card prices, do you think it would help the hobby if we could work with some of these third party, you know, data, you know, pricing services to get some of the in-person transactions happening at the conventions onto the platforms, therefore basically increasing the amount of data and knowledge that all of the collectors, dealers, and investors would have to work with when it comes to buying and selling cards. Yeah, absolutely. And and you bring up a great point because if if you remember, like when we had 400,000 square feet, you know, it was sold out basically. And a lot of the newer companies and the newer new tech-oriented companies couldn't get into the show. Uh, when we expanded to 600,000 square feet in Chicago, you saw a lot of new, new companies come in they were able to kind of you know, uh, showcase their, you know, their technology, their vision. And so, you know, what, what we saw was, and a matter of fact, we just talked about this in our meeting in, in Cleveland uh, Monday and Tuesday, is that we want to get more of that, tech, uh, that technology and, and more of that information uh, database. Uh, and I'm, always, I'm a real big database guy. I just think it's so important because it tells a story and apply it to, do, to what you just said too. So to answer your question, uh, there's, there's uh, and I, I bring this up to anybody who's out there, uh, if you wanna get involved in it, uh, or if you have ideas or, 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 or thoughts, you know, we're wide open, we'd love to hear it, and, and we feel like that's an important issue and something we wanna address going forward. I, I, also, I, think, I think it's also important, Leighton, because you know, a lot of the data out there is based on online auction platforms and maybe some fixed price listing platforms as well, which is valuable data. And, you know, you mentioned card ladder, you mentioned, well, you said sports card investor, their, their service is called market movers. Uh, you've got vintage card prices. Uh, 130 point provides some information, uh, but also card. I, I do know card ladder does offer a private sales, the opportunity to send them in your private sales information. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they do. They will verify it, is my understanding. And they also want to attach a name to it just to make sure that, it, you know, for real transparency, which I think is, is, a, is a great piece to the puzzle that, they, that they've implemented. Now, I don't know how many people are sending in that data. And I think what you're getting at, Layden, is a more comprehensive collection of this data by maybe, I think you said it on your podcast, verified dealers might be... Uh, a, a way to do it like who you know who is going to be trust and it's always hard to say who's going to be trusted because it seems like it's tough to put trust out there these days you know we've seen some people who we thought we could trust go sideways lately but in any event i think that the initiative the idea is a good one it just needs to be it, you know i think card ladders figured out how to do it now it has to you have to figure out how to scale it and get people to buy in and you know even um Dan's Vintage says right here, some of the dealers don't want a record of their sales for tax purposes. Well, that mean maybe, I mean, right? I, I think that's just reality, but maybe it would have to be anonymous to an extent or by by username so so that, you know, there isn't a, 
a way to for privacy purposes more than anything, which might tie into the the taxation piece. So, um, anything you want to add to that, or you know, were you thinking along those lines? Well, I just think I just think that it's a it's a, a issue uh, opportunity that needs to be looked at and it needs to be delved into and, and thought out and, and and as we're having this discussion right now i think this can be like taken into another level and 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 come come back with those answers but you know i we have the technology now we have the you know the the the, the opportunity the co the companies the new companies that are coming into the play that you know i think it's worth and and we should as hobbyists want to just kind of want to know the direction you know there's so many people right now that are saying too like you know I, and i'm one of those people we just scratched the surface in terms of the collectible industry you know in terms of the sports marketing and the sports memorabilia and trading cards i really think there's such a huge upside to it but maybe that data will convince more people that you know uh, that that's that's what we need to do and and what we need to know yeah Layton. I agree with you, Ray. Um, you know, I'd like to say it on here now that I'm going to reach out to Joe Drellick and the team for the December Philadelphia show that's going to take place. It's called the phillyshow.com. It's going to take place in December. And what I'm going to ask Joe, even if it's just me, which I'm, I'm hoping is going to have a few other people as well, it, actually, Ray and Jeremy, it's not just about what I sell, but I was buying so much at the Philly show. I'm like, I cannot believe that none of these transactions are being reported anywhere. And listen, some of them, of course, are more expensive than others, but ultimately I do believe this, and you said this, Ray, we're just scratching the surface, but in order to build the foundation mm -hmm. that we're going to be able to continue to build on top of, to be proud of, to share, and believe that it's gonna be here 20, 30, 40, 50 years in the future, we need transparency and we need the data that's already happening to be available to everyone. That's all we're talking about. So yes, it is, it is some technology, of course, that will take to log this data to make sure it's available to everyone. But I think it's really just, you know, about getting the ball started, whether it be it's one dealer, several dealers, and then you talk about in the future, having a program where maybe people have to be certified to participate. Um, but as far as the taxes, I just want to address that. I mean, listen, everyone is entitled to do what they want to do, but I think most of the people that I do business with are doing um, business above board. And I don't think that will be an issue. I think they want to see their data out there and they want to help everyone be more confident as a buyer, as a seller. You know, so. yeah. right. And just one, one more thing. I mean, and I've noticed this over the last couple of years. I mean, and, and I'll just speak to the national, but um, we've got so many more international people coming in. Um, I, I can tell you, I mean, I, I, I organized a group from, from London, 50 people just came in for the show and took off. I mean, and I know people are coming in from more and more countries. I know that from because they call me and also because I can see that in social media, too. I would like to know how much money is being brought in from the international group from not from uh, investor, but more from a buying perspective. And, and I don't know if there's a way of tracking that or, or, or looking at that, but I, I've got to think it's growing and it's growing fast. For sure. I just want to I just want to address a couple of comments late and I will let you give me one more minute of your time and then we'll let you go. But Rich Klein, who used to go around to shows uh, as a staffer for Beckett collecting pricing data, he's, he says here as a person who actually went to shows back in the day to gather prices, it sounds great, but it was even then a bit difficult to truly monitor. Some dealers 
happily showed me their sales. Others, you had to be very circumspect to get that information. We spent 90,000 in travel. It was a major part of not only getting that in-person information, but also getting relationships with people one could trust. And I think that I think that uh, as difficult as it was back then in, in the 80s for the Beckett staff to go do that, they did a very good job considering those limitations. And today, I mean, there was no internet in the 80s then the hobby was a whole different thing back in the 80s. It wasn't as much of a market. It was a marketplace. I understand that. But the values just weren't what they are today. So there's a, a more of a uh, desire, I would say, to get that data out there for a lot of people. So I think it would be a different landscape today than it was in the 80s for Beckett and the and the price data gatherers. And um, maybe maybe uh, maybe you're on to something, Leighton, with your, your hot take from episode 46 of Trading Card Therapy that dropped yesterday or the day before on your podcast so uh well listen i know you got to run so i just want to thanks for taking the time tonight coming on follow Leighton, Leighton underscore sheldon on instagram and just underscore collect and listen to his podcast you guys trading card therapy um it's funny because you can watch it on youtube and then you can watch it on instagram and realize that he's on a green screen the whole time on YouTube. <laughs> thank you for having me jeremy it was great seeing you ray same here, Leighton. Take care. Take care, everybody. Take care, Leighton. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Ray. Let's um, before we we uh, pick up where we left off. A couple more comments. Piccolino the cat. Hello from Bonsoir from Montreal. Welcome, welcome to the show. Kamikaze Sports Cards is, needs a needs a sports card therapist. It looks like uh, check out the Sports Card Therapist podcast. Kamikaze Jeffrey Hart. Good to see you. How's the Jordan? Says if Ray works for the Expos, they'd still be in Montreal. Thought so. <laughs> That would be some wish. Oh, sorry, right there, right there, right <laughs> there. That'd be some wishful thinking. Mark Santucci, better late than never. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Leighton's gone, but Stukes found a video of him 12 years ago ripping up exhibit card cello pack. Wow, very, very neat. Uh, I didn't. I haven't seen that, but boy, would I would I like to see that. Uh, what does Colin say? I had to re I had to record sold items and brought items when I. And bought items when I returned from the Philly show last year, driving back to Canada. Had a great talk with Leighton there. Very good, Colin. Welcome to the show. As always, Dan, Dan kudos to Rich Klein. You guys were groundbreakers. We you guys so much for that data. I mean, that magazine was what we all looked forward to back back then. I, I definitely think that's the way it is for, for so many of us. Mark says, no internet, no one touches. We had screw downs in the 80s. No doubt about that. Daniel, welcome to the show. So, Ray, let's pick up where we left off and I believe we were talking about, you know, you had you had you didn't have a contract with the National. Mike Burkus was just he just assumed you were going to come back. So you you came you, you came back. I mean, if you could just tell us a little bit about, you know, how had you have you how did you see the National evolve from and I said at the beginning of the show 2013. I don't I always have 2013 Cleveland in my mind, but it was 2010 Baltimore that you started. So how did you see the national evolve from 2010 Baltimore through until 2023 Chicago? And then we can talk about what's coming in the future. Well, again, Mike was the inspiration back then. And I'll, I'll never forget, you know, and maybe some people may remember the national when we had kids under 12 get in free on Sundays and just Sundays. And and it was Mike who and who had the conversation because I was I was part of it, and he goes, "Why are we just doing Sundays? Let's do it every you know every day," and and so 
it was, and, and, and when Mike said something, the, there wasn't really any, any question that there was, I mean, if Mike felt passionate about it, Mike got it done. And so, I mean, I credit Mike um, for, the, for the kickoff of, let's say, how, how we look at bringing kids into the, into the hobby. Because back then, that's, that's all everybody talked about. I mean, 100% was bringing kids into the hobby. And Mike was sensitive to that and, and felt like, you know, the one thing about Mike is that he'd listen to you. Uh, even if he disagreed with you, he'd let you play it out. And, and then he'd, he'd give you his reason and why it should or shouldn't be. But, you know, um, with, the, with the kids, um, uh, you know, under 12 getting in or 12 and under getting in free, he, he just saw that as, a, as we had to do it. And, and so it was done. And then, you know, as we move forward, you know, it was all about, you know, how do we, how do we make this experience a better experience for the, the attendees first and then the exhibitors? And, uh, and, and so he would, I mean, he knew every exhibitor and he knew uh, everything that was going on. So for me, it was a great time because, you know, not that I, I learned an awful lot, but I was very, very inspired. And, you know, having Mike there was really the, the, the reason I came back. And, you know, and he, he kind of, he respected me enough to let me do what I thought was necessary. And then if he could help out, it was, you know, absolute. I mean, even to the point where I said to him at one time, hey, Mike, I said, we, you know, we got to get catch up with the times. We, we need to be on Instagram. And, he, and uh, you know, um, John Brogy was doing Facebook and uh, Junior was doing Twitter and there was no Instagram. So he said to me, really? And I said, yeah, you got to be on, you got to be on Instagram. And he goes, all right, go for it. <laughs> he said, just do it. And so I did it. I mean, I didn't even question him. I just did it because, you know, I, you know he asked me to. And, and so going forward, it was all about, you know, you know, the relationships, the, you know, uh, I wish Mike was around today because there's so much, so many things that I know he would be, you know, uh, be so involved in and, and, and to see what, what he's created, uh, you know, to be proud of, uh, a lot of the inspiration and not only from the staff, but from even the exhibitors and, and the board of directors. I mean, Mike, Mike, Mike was a, you know, the leader. And so it, it was difficult after he passed. And, and so, but at the same time, you know, the hobby was, a, was, was evolving. And, you know, there were more and more new uh, creative ideas, new concepts. Uh, I got more involved with, with knowing a lot of them. And I, I, me being from a, from a package goods background, I love the idea of kind of creating something and nurturing it and then seeing it thrive. And so I found myself just working, you know, on behalf of the national, really. I mean, just my ideas, just working and talking to, you know, corporate people or whoever and, and just trying to say, hey, you know, hey, this is a good idea. Or, and I, and I, I did it with the understanding that, hey, it's going to help the national, too. And so if you give guidance to that and going back to my league days, um, understanding how, you know, sometimes, you know, you've got, you've got it planned out that you're doing an event, but, you know, maybe you don't get going in terms of, of, of planning it exactly on site, you know, 
to, when it's too late, maybe just a few weeks in advance, but I've always talked to them about, hey, if you have an opportunity like this, then let's do it, you know, do it right and, and create something that is going to, you know, maximize your existence, your, your participation. And, and so I, I always enjoyed that and, you know, work with the athletes too and, and TriStar and, uh, you know, things that I like to pull off with the, with the mainstream media, um, promotions, interactions. It, 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 honestly, it got me to a point where I was meeting a lot of interesting people and that fascinated me, stimulated me. And I got to partake in something that, you know, people could walk away from and say, hey, I had a great experience or I made a lot of money or I did all the above. And so for me, that was so important. And I just I kept doing it. And, and even today, um, today's a little different because, you know, um, we have new management. And with that, I've gotten much, much more responsibility and opportunity to to really kind of do what what I enjoy, and that's think outside the box. Um, you know, I've worked with uh, a lot of influencers, got great relationships with a lot of influencers. They're, you know, some of them are really, really fantastic to work with. I say most of them, all of them, really. Uh, and there's all different levels, you know, in terms of um, influencers and uh, up and coming uh, people who, uh, I don't really call them influencers, but you know, I call them you know, um, uh, ambassadors. And they, they're at a stage where they're, they're, they're growing and learning and, and uh, trying to you know, kind of figure out the landscape. And so like, uh, when, you, when you say up to like today, uh, a couple years ago, uh, you know, we, got, we got working with uh, you know, the manufacturers, the trading card manufacturers, and obviously they were really good about um, creating product and creating situations, experiences in their booths for the kids. And then, then uh, Brody the Kid came along. And, and I got the opportunity to talk to him and, and I said, you know, would you be interested in shadowing me and doing some stuff and, and representing, you know, kids and talking to kids and, and, you know, finding out what kids want. And so he jumped at it and he said, absolutely. And so Brody was the first one who got involved and, and he's, been, he's been with us for a number of years now. Uh, but it got me thinking, you know, as, as Brody grew, as Brody contributed, uh, there's more, much, much, much more uh, content out there. Much, much more content. I mean, I remember, I remember years ago, I was, I was begging for people to create content. And now everybody is creating content, which is a great thing. Don't get me wrong. I love it. Uh, and, and so for me, I had an opportunity to say, you know what, let's, let's try this. And I kicked it off with uh, Dr. Collectible. I, I, met, I met him at the Mint. And, uh, and, I, and God knows why, but I just said, listen, you know, you, you got to do this. You know, got to do this with us. And, and he jumped at it. He got it. He, you know, he recognized it right away. And then, then, I pre then I went ahead and, you know, picked out certain people that I felt represented certain areas uh, of the hobby. And, and uh, we, we kind of collaborated in terms of, hey, you know, we're, we're sort of a team here. And the object is to create a, a, as much pre-show uh, content and on-site co content to, to showcase the hobby. 
really, that's that's what it came down to. You know, it wasn't it wasn't so much the national um, because the national. I mean, it wasn't as if we had to sell tickets, um, and it wasn't as if we had to sell exhibitor booths. What we did have to sell is the hobby, and so they all agreed. They all got it. They understood, and so um, so there was a list of about ten of them, and, and but I enjoy putting that together. Uh, Jeremy, I, I enjoy putting you know situations together that can can be looked at and and um, you know taken to another level. And I think if nothing else, you know if we, if if they don't even participate next year, they had a good experience themselves. I mean, they learned an awful lot. They they were in situations where they saw how we acted and we they saw how we presented ourselves. And you know, it's a lot of time was spontaneous. Um, and a lot of times it was planned, but it was something where, you know, uh, it, it, I was excited in our meetings on Monday and Tuesday in Cleveland that uh, we're going we're gonna to do bigger and better in, in Cleveland next year. Well, I'm looking forward to it. You know, you mentioned Bro to the Kids, so a bit of a pioneer in the ambassadorship role as far as sports cards go and, and the national goes. And, you know, I do want to talk about growing the hobby. That's what I titled this episode as. And, I mean, you... I, you know, you've been talking about it, but sort of in a, in a roundabout sort of way, just based on your own experience. Um, I want to, Dave Marino put a question in the chat here. He says, what were some community engagements from years past you would love to see brought back and reintroduced? So you talk, you said that, you know, you're creative. You like to think outside the box. Let's think outside of the box. Or let's think, let's think about a box from earlier back in the, maybe in the early 2010s. Was there anything that was going on? that you think could, just to answer his question, it could be reintroduced now that, that maybe faded away or is uh, have we evolved? I mean, that might be the, the simple answer might be that, well, we've evolved, we have new things now, but I, I'll give you a chance to to address that. If any, Does anything even come to mind? Well, one thing comes to mind right away, and this is years ago, and it was, it was at one of the Chicago shows, but we, we I actually planned on this. Uh, we created an auction, uh, the national auction, and... The, the whole purpose of it was to really to, you know, at, at that time, uh, there was a lot of um, rumblings about you know, trading card people being greedy. And, 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 you know, it's all I think about is money, 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 money and sell, sell, sell. And so uh, I got the idea of let's let's do, put it put it out there that we are we meaning the hobby, meaning the national. Are, are actually people that are passionate and sympathetic and want to do stuff for like the underprivileged. So we created a, a, an auction that that um, we did the first year, two years, I think I did with Handbid, which was a private company, and this last two years with Pristine Auction, and they, they, they've done a good job. But when we first started, it was uh, Ronald McDonald House in Chicago. And what that did, and, and um, maybe a lot of your viewers don't realize that what that did is, is it resonated throughout the community. The media picked up on it and you know, the goodwill that it brought out. But I did it really so that not only, it's not so much that the nationals giving back, it's more like I position it that the exhibitors are giving back. And, and I said to them, you know, this is, this is our group that wants to give back to the community. And I think we raised like twenty or $30,000 for Ronald McDonald House, and we've been doing that going forward. But it gives us an opportunity to, to kind of give back to the community. And then we, then we got guys um, that are doing stuff, bringing, bringing people in and bringing you know, the less fortunate into the, 
into the show and, and, and we as a we we need to do uh, maybe more of a better structured job of it and and uh, we will but uh, Mr. Devine has brought in un underprivileged kids from Chicago and then brought all his buddies and you know giveaways and all that kind of stuff and so it's it, it's been good we can do much better though don't, don't get me wrong but uh, the community is important and and I think it, it helps like when we go back to Chicago, uh, you know, we, we may have some, some different ideas or different um, kind of mindset in terms of what, what we're going to do in the community. Right. Okay, good, good. Um, I want to just go back to the ambassadors for a second. And in terms of growing the national, do you feel after the first, you know, I mean, you had Brody for a couple of years, but you really expanded the program this past year. Did you see a return on that initiative? Did, do you feel that they had a direct influ, uh, impact on the attendance, maybe the, the money spent at the show uh, to the, to the vendors benefit to the show's benefit? Uh, speak to that a bit. Well, I tell you, honestly, my, my purpose was to create as much content as we can. But having said that, I also wanted to hit every target, you know, every demographic and, and by, creating this ambassador program, I feel like we were able to address that. And, you know, in other words, I could go to every, every ambassador for me, in my mind, you know, there is, there is a reason for them being part of this. And, and, and I talked to them about it and they agreed. And so it was more like, all right, I want you to target this. I want you to target that. Uh, I, you know, we've got this going on. I want I like you there and, and, and somebody else over, you know, maybe talking to an athlete. Um, and, and this is what I wanted. To, I, I, and I was really just guiding them. I wasn't mandating it, but I was guiding them in terms of, um, you know, th this is what I'd like to get out of it. And, and not only for me, but for them, too, because most of the people that I that I chose are very young. And so I was hoping that with some guidance, it would help them, you know, help themselves. So uh, and I thought. You know, it was a learning experience for me, too. But you know, after the show was finished and I had individual conversations with everybody, I mean, it, 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 for me, it, it, it worked. I mean, it really did work. And now, you know, again, every time you, 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 you do something, you learn from it. And now for me, going back, um, you know, I've got some other things that, that we want to target. But, uh, yeah, you're, you know, when you're in a position like mine, you're kind of fair game for everybody. You know, and and everybody has an opinion of what should be done, what and what shouldn't be done, and and so you just try to <coughs> be in a position where you, you present you know all sides of it. And I was extremely happy with the with the um, the way they went about it, the amount of time they put into it, how it was perceived, and you know, I, and I never I never said to them you can't create your own content. I always said to them, you know, I want you to create your own content. Um, and, you know, if one, one story or one post out of three or out of five is with the national and it's, and it's meaningful, that's great. And so, you know, I gave them that freedom. And I also, I also was in a position where I could tell them uh, certain things that were happening that nobody else knew about. And so they, they were excited about that, where like when we had Derek Jeter come in, nobody knew Derek Jeter was coming into to the show floor except me and arena and bleaker 
but that was about it. And but my my ambassadors were there, and my ambassadors were there, and they got to see you know Derek come in, uh, drove him around. You know, this is uh, before the exhibitors got in on a Thursday morning, but you know the whole idea was to take Jeter and give him a tour of the floor, and then take him to the arena booth. He'd sit, he'd get there, and and then people who are like uh, exhibitors uh, who were on site at the time at eight o'clock in the morning, they would be able to you know get a picture taken with him. You know, he'd have lunch later with some of the, the their key clients, and uh, but that was something we set up, and the and and the um, ambassadors got to follow him and, and got a lot of great content. A lot of them got to interview him, you know, whether it's 30 seconds or whatever, but they did it. Uh, and then there was other with athletes and, you know, um, you know, people that people that were like VIPs. But uh, uh, that was that was the the upside for them. Um, and they were they were go to. So it was great. And so, uh, you know, they, I think all of them uh, expressed interest in coming back. So I'm glad about that. Good. Good. A couple of comments. Uh, Orlando says a young ambassador, Ryan Nolan, went to 52 card shows a year. Best national recap video. And Ryan is a young guy and he also breakout breakout sports cards. And he uh, is for a young guy, loves his his early vintage stuff. Uh, Darren, this is really cool to hear. Caught up on some episodes of mine while drive on his drive from Wisconsin to Cincinnati. Hey, that's cool to hear as always, Darren. Glad, glad, glad to see you here. Vintage card collector has a question, Ray. Do you think the national will ever change the system for selecting tables and move away from a seniority system? And I mean, just I don't know if this is even your department or anything that you're you're in you know you're a part of, but are you? Can you speak to it? Yeah, I don't think you want to go on my re, um, answer because I, I don't. I mean, I know it uh, in 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 a, in, a, in a way, but uh, yeah, I, you've got to think about it. You know, uh, and I, this is from my own experience doing shows with the leagues. Um, yeah, it's hard to when somebody's been there and supporting you for many years to turn around and say you don't have seniority. Um, you know, and even though yeah, today's today and tomorrow's tomorrow, um, I don't know if that will ever change. But I do know that uh, with Joe and Jimmy and Brian being in the new management team, I do know that you know they they they've got a little different perspective and and they're open for ideas and. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna learn just like you do in terms of what what that may be. But they're all about they are really really truly about transparency. And there's a lot of things that that you'll see and and hopefully uh, be excited about just like I will going forward. All right, good stuff. Mookie Chilson puts up basically my next question. He says, Ray, what do you have cooking for Cleveland next year? Any preview? Anything you can share with us that might be. Uh, you know, ground new, newsworthy, breaking news, anything at all. Well, Cleveland has always been a great market. I've done two shows there and uh, with a lot of success. And, and going forward, uh, again, transitioning from the old to the new uh, and also to the way trade nights have taken off. I think, I think in Chicago, um, what I was told is, and I was there at the show, so I mean, I, I mean at the trade night, so I, I saw it. We had almost five to 6,000 people go through trade night. And I say that on a rotating basis. In other words, people leave and then other, there was a line to get in the whole time. So we, we, know, we know that's something that is very um, uh, timely and very, um, you know, the people are passionate about it. There's no question about it. 
you know, we, we started with uh, conversations in, in Cleveland this past week about, all right, well, how do we, how do we take it to another level? Um, so again, this is all uh, just conversation, but you know, we're talking about maybe having two or three trade nights in the convention center, you know, maybe a, you know, Wednesday or, or Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Wednesday, th whatever, but we're talking about that. Um, we're talking about having a, a maybe a, a load-in party. Uh, so we we want to we we figure that with with everybody that was you know so excited about the the trade night on Thursday night and 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 you know for the first time Jeremy for the first time I've never seen this before but the first time there there are kids and and adults that were in the lobby of our show uh, in trading as well. And never saw that before. I mean, obviously you see them in the hotels and all that, but uh, we, we want to kind of take that experience and just uh, when the show closes, you know, you'll be able to go into a trade night. We'll, cut, we'll have, you know, we're going to have more discussions on that. We're very, we're, we're, at, we're for that and we're going to, you know, fine tune it and, and we'll have details soon. All right, well. Look forward to hearing and learning more about what's coming up next year in Cleveland. Uh, let's talk a bit about, uh, and just maybe keep we can keep this one quick, but you were involved last year at the Beckett Industry Summit in Las Vegas, and uh, that would be happening maybe this weekend or next weekend if it was happening again, but it doesn't seem to be occurring. Uh, what do you know about that event? Was it canceled altogether? Is it, uh, is it on hiatus? What do you know about the Beckett Industry Summit and the current st status of it? Well, you know, I was very uh, honored to be asked uh, about six years ago to come on on board and be co-host, and and uh, you know, with uh, the last couple of years with, with, with Ted Barker, and uh, when Ted left, uh, you know, we had a real we had a really successful industry summit uh, last year in in Las Vegas, and and then but when Ted left. Uh, I kind of, you know, it, it was in one of those things where, with Beckett, there was there was some internal um, movement and, and uncertainty, and and so Ted just said, you know, hey, listen, I'm I'm finished, I'm retired, and I, I, I honestly, as as much as I uh, enjoyed working there, most of it was because of Ted and and Alex who who worked with us, and and I enjoyed that aspect of it. But um, you know, going forward, uh, I, nobody's ever nobody's notified me whether there is or is not. I've heard it on a third party that it's been canceled and they've restructured it to a, 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 a you know, sponsor weekend or something like that. But uh, it's too bad. It's unfortunate because if, I think it really provided the industry with that that um, opportunity. And, and what I've always said was that you know, and, and this was not necessarily for the the buyers and sellers. This is mostly for like the, you know, the the, the corporate, the, the the mom and pop, the you know, brick and mortar, the online, more of the, you know, the movers and the leadership of of the hobby. And and it was always it was good because it was a place you can come. You can't do that really at the national. You really can't. I mean, there's so many things going on, and you get you get distracted and. But at, at the industry summit, you're coming for that main purpose is to kind of interact and kind of get a whole got a feel for what's going on in the industry. You know, so one, you can feel comfortable that you're going in the right direction or two, get some heads up on some ideas that you can help trans, mm -hmm. you know, do, do some maybe some uh, elevating of, of your 
your programs that, that you conduct, in, whether it's in the shop or on the line or whatever like that. But yeah, it's from a hobby's perspective, I'm kind of sad that, you know, they, they haven't decided they're going to do that. And, uh, uh, you know, I know, you know, with the Mint 2, I, I haven't heard anything about that. But, uh, you know, it's as, as, as we've spoken before, Jeremy, you know, the hobby is transitioning. The hobby is evolving, and you know, a lot of stuff that we normally you know wouldn't think about, uh, we've got to think about. We, you know, it's you know, in the old days, you just thought about waking up and you know, business as usual. You can't think that way anymore. You know, you've got to be on your toes, and you always got to be thinking ahead. That's why the industry summit is so important. Uh, yeah, I mean, the industry summit was the the one that I was at uh, physically, not virtually. You know, it was all about growing the hobby. Uh, that, that's what the whole thing seemed to be for. And now that it's no longer there or, you know, it doesn't seem like it's going to I shouldn't say it does, it's not happening this year anyway. Does that open the door for fanatics to come in and maybe do something with that? And let's talk about fanatics for a moment and fanatics events, the new business that they're starting. And, right. you know, in the in within the spirit of growing the hobby and also, you know, how fanatics events can will coexist with the national and other major regional shows. Uh, how do you see fanatics fitting into the landscape of both shows and corporate type uh, summit industry, industry events? Sure. I just want to back up for a quick second. And, and I just want this on record, but I just think it's irresponsible of Beckett not to come out and, and give direction in terms of what's happening. Because, you know, there's so many people that count on this and, and, and I can't tell you how many calls I've gotten in terms of, you know, Ray, is something going on, something going on. Why? Because we got to plan it, you know, and we've mm -hmm. got to plan accordingly. And Beckham hasn't come out and said anything to anybody. That's just purely irresponsible. And, uh, and, and I'll leave it like that. Getting into, you know, what we're talking about, the evolution and the transition. Um, you know, so many people come up to me and ask me, uh, you know, What's competition? And, and I, I, my, in my opinion, you know, I, I, I'll respond by saying, listen, there are so many local card shows, so many regional card shows popping up almost every week, right? And, you know, when, when you're talking about the national, we had over 100,000 people. We had almost like 50 to 75 exhibitors that were on the waiting list to get in. And that's 600,000 square feet. You tell me, why would we consider that competition? That's not competition. Understand that's growth. Start talking about growth, not competition. And when I go out to Rob Barris' show in Anaheim, you know, I've gone to Union, I've gone to, uh, I, I go to all those, as many shows I've gone to Dallas show, I go to many shows I can. Why? Toronto. Toronto. I, I go all these shows because, you know, I'm representing the national and I want these people to understand that we're here for you, not against you. And I don't want this Antigon, you know, being antagonized in, or, or, or any kind of comments. I know there's some, you know, some guys uh, online were talking about, well, there's competition and this and that. I, the, what we said earlier today, we said that we're at only a fraction of, of where we should be in terms of growth of the hobby of sportsmen. I think, Collectibles is like 200 or $400 billion. 
the sports memorabilia is like two, maybe two to eight billion dollars. We're not even close to where we should be or could be. So I don't look at that as competition. Now, as it relates to fanatics, we've always, the national, we've always had a great relationship with you know, fanatics, tops, um, zero, uh, just great people. I mean, I know a lot of those people, they're my friends and, and we've conversed for years and years and years. It's not competition. I, and they know that they know that they know that I, I tell them that it's not competition. I tell anybody it's not competition. What, what fanatics can do, and they're very smart. Um, they brought in Lance, who's, who's from Comic-Con. But what they're going to do, they're going to take a, a, a route that's going to, you know, kind of grow the hobby. Now, you know, the national is the national. It'll always be the national. But when, when we talk to fanatics, and I think, you know, they feel the same way, um, that t we need to work together. We want to work together. And you'll see, I mean, Fanatics and Tops, well, they'll be in Cleveland. They'll be, I mean, they'll be doing their, with their stuff. I think they had a very successful show in Chicago. Why would you want to take that away? I mean, they can do and they can be as successful as they want doing what they want to do without having to, you know, think about, you know, whatever at the National. And, and uh, me and, and our team, our whole team, is pro-Fanatics and pro-Tops in terms of, you know, we, we know they're going to do shows. They haven't decided timing-wise, uh, or they have. It's internal uh, or locations. But that's not competition. That's growth. And that's the way, you know, we look at it. And, and uh, you know, there's going to be people up there who want to stir the pot. But it's crazy. It's, it's just crazy. We, we, we get along great with them. And, and, I, and I told our team in, in Cleveland, I said, you know what, I... I, I uh, you know, I know a lot of their like social media people. I know a lot of, I, I just, I want to do more. I want to do more with them. And, you know, seeing what they did last year was fantastic. You know, the, the way they managed their booth and the way they brought players and VIPs to their booth, that was awesome. You know, and the trade night, they were, you know, all the management was there at trade night. It was awesome. It was yeah. great. So there's a lot of things that, that we will do together. So yeah, it's growth, not competition. The, you know the soundbite that we're going to 10x the hobby. It's taken on a life of its own in in recent uh, in recent months. Well, since fanatics, I guess Michael Rubin first was was uh, was documented saying that. And um, you know what what do you what do you think is reasonable? Do you think that 10xing the hobby, whether that's by dollar volume or by transactional volume or by participant, the number of participants in the hobby, do you think that that's a reasonable expectation for the hobby to have right now and and if so how do you think that we're going to accomplish that well let me first say that michael rubin is a very smart guy you know and he's a he's a very good business a very great businessman um but what he what he's doing now is he's coming into a category and he has the wherewithal to to, to know who to hire and what direction to go what what he is learning though he's learning about the community he's learning about like what we know as the hobby and because he's never had that experience before so for me personally i see him you know going out there you know making um you know uh, checks on whether it's going to a show or a brick and mortar um and he's getting that experience i saw him i saw him act and react at the national 
Uh, he seemed so much more comfortable in terms of dealing with people and going up to people and knowing people. And so I think it's just a period of time where he's just getting acclimated uh, to what we know as the community. And, and as of the community, that's what we're looking for. We want him to do that. So as long as he do that, Michael Mahan is very active. And, and, uh, and, and, and once you start learning that, it's kind of, you know, it just, it, it just gets you and, you, and you, you spend more and more time on it. So I don't know what to expect from him, but I do know that, you know, he, he's, going to, he's going to do it based on his experiences and, and basically, you know, how, how it works best for his, his company. Well, I was I had to take my little son to the toy store in the mall today and I walked by a lid store and there was the uh, there were the Mitchell and Ness collaboration with the lids with the baseball caps and the packs on the side and, uh, you know, get a pack of Topps Chrome with the purchase of a baseball cap. So it's uh, it, it's it's happening. It's starting to happen uh, more mainstream. A couple comments here. Perk says, do either of you have any concerns that after Cleveland, the next three nationals will all be in Chicago I'll go first, Ray. I have no concern. I like it like that for myself. I like that. I like that venue. I, I like that. I like Rosemont for the show quite a bit, actually. So I was uh, happy to hear that. But how about you, Ray? I'm just I'm just one kid up here in Canada that says saying that. Well, from, from from a marketing perspective and promotion perspective, it's much 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 better for me because I get to deal with people in the mainstream media um, and I get to deal with the community up there knowing that we're coming back every year. So we'll be able to do bigger and better things because that, you know, it, it's always been challenging for me when I say, well, yeah, today, this week, we're going to be in Chicago, next week in Cleveland, then Atlantic City. Um, you know, we'll be back in three years. Now, you know, they know we can create something that's ongoing. So that's a, that's a huge positive. Um, and the, the, you know, the feedback we get and, and the relationship we have with Rosemont and the, and the convention center is just unbelievable. Again, I've worked with maybe over 25 different venues throughout the country. Most of them, I mean, with the exception of just maybe one or two major ones that I haven't. And these people are just fantastic to work with. I, I will drop some some uh, some news. Though. Um, uh, the uh, Donald E. Convention Center, Rosemont Village. Uh, has approved uh, new air conditioning and heating units that will go on top of the of the convention center. I think there are going to be 11 of them, and I think they're just putting them up uh, this month or next month. So you're going to have all brand new air conditioning um, for when we go back there. And the hobby goes wild. That's uh, that is that's great news. <laughs> that's good to hear. Good to hear. And hopefully they they keep the overhead doors closed uh, this these ne those next three years as well. All right, let's go to. Couple more comments coming in here. Uh, Mark Santucci wants to know, and I, I feel like I know the answer to this, but let's get your because you've been to all these shows. So, Ray, if the National is the biggest show, what's the second biggest show? Is it Burbank? Is it the Toronto Expo? These East Coast National or something else? And you've been to all these shows. So, what's second biggest to the National? Yeah, I mean, I have to say Toronto's up there. Uh, I, I would say Toronto. Um, I think I think Rob in in, in Anaheim, you know, he had like 180,000 square feet. Um, but Toronto's it, over 200, I think. Yeah, but but it, it again, it depends on you know who who you draw and and uh, the exhibitors and um, but 
No, I think Toronto. Uh, all, but you know what? I, I, all the other shows, even Philly and East Coast, and uh, they're all. I mean, they're all really, really good shows. I mean, there's they're solid shows, and you know when I and I hear about all the shows, whether it's in, you know, it's in Columbus, Ohio, or it's in Tampa Bay, or you know, you know, wherever Milwaukee, and they're popping up, and but they're doing really well, and so that's a good sign for us in the hobby. But I, I don't think it's important, you know, to say who's biggest and who's not. I mean, let, let the show, I mean, all of them have their own personality, their own uh, draw and, and reason for being. And, and, and I like that. I, I like that diversity. Um, but don't get big just for the sake of getting big. That's when you can get into trouble, you know, in terms of uh, from, from a business standpoint. And, and, you know, trying to be the national... You don't want to be the national because, again, we go back to the, you know, to the, all the, the, what I call the check boxes, where, you know, you, you have to have so many things in play to be able to, to move a, 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 an event of that size. And, and a good example is like, you know, well, you know, people say, well, you know, how about uh, Anaheim? And, you know, and, I, and, and the, thing, the check box there is that, well, Rob can get that, you know, he can get that within a few months. You know, he can make that commitment and get get them to sign off of. We can't do that. They won't give it at 18 months. You know, so you know, we need we need three years. You know, to, to to be able to get a confirmation on that. And not not too many not too many venues are willing to do that uh, because for the purpose of hey, I, at that point they'd rather get a pharmaceutical or a tech company because it's going to bring in more money and more more rooms and better for the city so it's, yeah it's, and that that that's be like odd merchants here says st louis kansas minnesota minneapolis would all be better locations than cleveland but they're just simply not options and you can go back and watch the episode we did uh six weeks ago with the the new management team we they, they spoke exactly to why all these cities that everyone always puts out there is we like to have it here it's they're just not doable for various well, reasons and, and let me just finish by saying this i mean you know this group that's in there now, um, and I asked them to do this, and they're and they're totally on board with this. But you know, they will they will make sure every market is checked off, and you know, and, and looking at venues and 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 what I I'm going to create actually is a, is a, a checklist, a box list, and you know, check off every box. I mean, maybe 25 boxes, maybe. Maybe a venue hits 20 and that's okay, or it needs to hit 23 or, you know, some of the critical boxes need to be checked and they can't check them. So that prevents us to doing it. But there's not going to be any question, you know, if, if there's something in St. Louis that can give us 400,000 plus, uh, and in Cleveland, I think we got 425,000 uh, square feet. But if there's, if there's a, a venue anywhere that gives it 400,000 square feet, um, can give us some of the benefits uh, union-wise and, and give us enough hotel rooms and by the airport and, and all these that, I, that from a box standpoint, if they can do that, then you know, you'll know about it and, 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 and then vote on But it's just very, very, very difficult to get to yeah. that point. All right, some more comments. Duke says Dallas is up there, in my opinion. Yeah, there's Dallas has done a great. I've never been. I want to go, but Dallas has done. Kyle and I don't. I've, I've met Kyle. Done a great job. There's so many great regional shows outside of the national. 
Uh, Dallas definitely being one of them. Colin says it should be in Chicago every year. 100-plus dealers aren't in Cleveland that were in Chicago this year. And, yeah, that's going to happen. Colin says Toronto is hands down the, the second biggest show, which is my understanding as well. Vintage Card Collector from an earlier discussion says a lack of communication is par for the course for Beckett. It's questionable if they even have a communications department. And it's just sad that that's the... That's the sentiment out there right now. It's sad for the brand that we all we all grew up loving and is a, a staple in our hobby. So uh, that, that's just a, it's just sad to hear a comment like that. That I know uh, Vintage Card Collector is um, you know not the only one who feels that way. Mookie Chilson said, "Ray, a very healthy attitude about competition and correct in my opinion. You're welcome at the Garfield New Jersey show anytime, and he will pay the two dollar cover." Joe Perot, good evening and welcome. To the show get to see you uh okay okay um well let me say one thing like uh, just to um respond to that too um sure. you know i i do i i i'll actually be running all the social media for the national going forward it's going to be a transition uh right now i handle the the instagram uh but i will be handling everything and we're going to have a a, a strategic plan and and, and very I want to be very engaging and all that but I also set up a, a separate one called Collectible Media on Instagram, where it, the purpose was it can't promote the national on uh, on that all the time, or so I've kind of I created that so that with new shows popping up and new people, I want I want to collaborate with them, I want to promote them, so tag me Collectible Media, um, and again, the more and the reason why I do that is because. The more we can present and promote the all the stuff that's going on, all the shows, all the appearances, all the you know private signings, whatever, that's going to help the national, you know. And that so it's it, it's great for the hobby. And and there's a way. Again, I don't have an agenda when it comes to you know promoting somebody out there. I'm going to promote everybody and anybody on collectible media. Um, if you mention if you mention the national, I can I'll promote it on the national, but it's got to be a national related type of uh, um, proposition. But you know, please please um, send me that information because I, I would I mean and, and to repost or post or uh, because I do think that's really it's really helped in terms of again getting a perspective of what's going on out there helps with promotions and all of the above. So thank you. I just added that account to the ticker so. All three of Ray's Instagram accounts, uh, the National, his own Ray underscore Schulte, and Collectible Media are now uh, there for you all to see. If you have Instagram and you'd like to follow, please uh, go ahead and, and give Ray a follow on his various accounts. I think that, that, that'd, be, uh, that'd, be, that'd be great. Um, okay, well, we've, we've, covered, we've covered quite a bit. We haven't covered much about what you collect yourself. Uh, why don't you just give us a, a – let me just see if we have any, any – uh, yeah, tell us a bit, Ray, about what you collect, what you like, what 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 drives you. I see these movie posters behind you. Uh, tell us about your own collection these days. Well, it, during the '80s, you know, when I was representing the players, I used to get a lot of what I call like chashkis and stuff, you know, like bobbleheads and photos and trading cards and all that. And I was living in the two-bedroom apartment in New York, and it, uh, obviously, after a while, I I just couldn't take in all this stuff. And it happened that uh, one of my friends, um, Bobby Zaram, he, he, he's like one of the top PR guys in New York. He, he was responsible for I Love New York campaign and all that. 
he gave me a, a movie poster, a, a lobby card for my birthday. And I looked at it and I said, hey, thanks, Bob, I appreciate it. And this was at one of the, this was at one of Gloria Rothstein's East Coast Nationals in White Plains. It's actually the venue that uh, Jimmy Ryan has now. <laughs> um, and Jimmy bought the show from, from Gloria. But, but anyway, to make a long story short, I got that. And he, he, kinda, he told me the story behind it. He told me the story about how movie posters were, were created, uh, how they were distributed, and how they were returned to the movie houses. And, and so it's like anything else. And, and anytime I have a chance to have a conversation with somebody, it's not so much what it is, it's just the concept of collecting. And, and so for me, you know, he, he basically said, you know, in, in, this is like 1901, 1902. And so he said, listen, back then, they would they'd create a movie, mostly, uh, um, you know, soundless, and they, they would send out uh, the movie and the, the movie poster. And, and when the theater was finished, they'd have to send the movie poster back. And so I started thinking about, well, that's, that's cool. I mean, that's pretty interesting. And like, you know, 1910, 1920, 1930. And so, you know, all these, all these movies were out there, but it wasn't as if like today they have like, you know, a thousand or, or 10,000 movie posters for modern movies. And so when I saw this, I'm thinking, wow, that's cool. And to make a long story short, I basically said to myself, I said, listen, you know, I, I want to collect just for the sake of collecting because I just love collecting. And so I said, you know what, this is cool. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set some parameters and I'm going to basically, you know, start collecting movie posters. I knew there was a lobby card, a one sheet, three sheet and all that. And so I said that to Bobby and, and he hooked me up with one or two guys that, that were in that business and category. And, and so, but I said the parameters are, it has to be pre-1960. It's got to be USA. It's got to be mint condition. It's got to be sports related. Um, and, you know, then there was like you know, 10 or so other. You're uh, all about checking boxes, aren't you? <laughs> I was checking boxes. But you know what? That's what's so, you know, if you really sit down with somebody talking about collecting, it's all about that. You really, you really got to focus in on what, you, what you're looking at. It's the chase. It's the, you know, the capture. And, and then it's the challenge to go out and do more. And so I, I started that. And so I, so I sold a lot of stuff that I had and I, I started collecting movie posters, but they had to be original, they had to be sports. And eventually I, I, uh, at some point I, I kind of you know, went outside the box and, and, and got some others that, that, were, that just fascinated me as I was a kid. But uh, yeah, I, I collect movie posters, original movie posters. I collect type one photos. And that's it. I, I don't, I mean, I, I, have a, I have a decent card collection, but it's not something I collect. It's nothing, it's nothing I chase after. And the autographs and, and all that, that went way back. You know, that was a long time ago. Um, Who are the, it, uh, Stukes wants to know, are those, ba- is that Babe and Lou Gehrig in the background behind you there? The busts? Oh, yeah. Yeah, those are, those are two busts that I, that I have. Um, uh, I think I, I think I mentioned to you. I was I was really close to Julia Ruth um, Stevens, Babe's daughter, and so a lot of stuff that I do have is from her, um, and and I and I never re- I never asked her for anything, but she lived here in Peoria for a number of years, and and uh, one of one of my best memories 
was taking her to the Diamondbacks game. You, you asked me if I was a Diamondbacks fan, and I said yes, and this is the reason why. When, when she was here, uh, it, was, it was, I mean, she was here for a number of years, but she was here in 2001, and uh, the Yankees were coming down playing the World Series against the Diamondbacks in Bank One Ballpark. And I was friends with her uh, way before that time, and she called me up, she goes, hey, Ray, are we going to the World Series? And I said, yeah, sure, absolutely. And, and it was easy for me. I just called the Diamondbacks, and they took care of it. And, and, and it was funny because I'd go pick her up in Peoria, and we'd, we'd take the car drive down to the ballpark, and she's talking about daddy, daddy, daddy. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, daddy, daddy's Babe Ruth. And it's like, <laughs> you know, it was kind of surreal. Um, but she, she was, um, she was uh, like a real influence on me. She, and, 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 and this is the reason why. When, when, the, when the Yankees and the Diamondbacks were slated to start the World Series, I got a lot of calls from New York media saying, uh, you know, can we talk to Julia? And, and I said, why? Well, we just want to get a, an idea of feeling like why or who is, she, who is she rooting for? Is she rooting for her dad's team, the Yankees? Or is she rooting for the Diamondbacks? And I said, well, that's a good question. I said, let me, I'll call her up. And I called her up. I said, you know, Fox News wants to do an interview with you. Uh, I, I don't know. You know they're going to ask you if, uh, if you root for the Yankees or the Diamondbacks. They're going to put you in a tough position. And she, without hesitation, she goes, Ray, I am a Diamondbacks fan. <laughs> and, and I said, you sure? You really? Are you? And she goes, absolutely. And I said, all right, now you have to explain yourself to me. And she goes, okay. Uh, she goes, well, I, I moved here years ago. She goes, uh, and I followed the Diamondbacks all the time. Luis Gonzalez is my favorite player. You know, you've taken me down there. We've met a lot of the team and this and that. She goes, I am a fan of the Arizona Diamondbacks. I said, but they're going to talk to you about Yankees, and why aren't you a Yankee fan? And I'm going to explain to them, she said, I'm going to explain to them that I am a baseball fan and I am in the present and my place is here and I'm a hometown you know, fan. And so and, and she stuck with that. And she just I mean, it wasn't even a question. It wasn't a hesitation. I took her all four games. She stayed for every inning, stayed till the end. Um, she answered any question. And it's, it's, it's funny because the media got it. They understood. There wasn't any negative negativity, you know, to her rooting for the Diamondbacks, and and it kind of it kind of sent a message out there, and it, it inspired me to like, you know, you know, obviously I grew up a Yankee fan, I'm Don Mattingly fan and Buck Showalter fan, and but I'm living here in Arizona, so for Our for the per for the purpose of, of of her spirit, I'm rooting for the Diamondbacks. Yeah, <laughs> right on. All right, well, that that's a that's really cool that you're you're pals with. Uh, babe. Is she still uh, with us? Uh, she passed away when she was 101 years old, a number of years ago. Wow, that's really neat that you got to have a, a friendship with her and take in World Series games with her. Really cool. Before we we wrap up, Ray, just want to get your kind of overall thoughts on. From your perspective, of course, just the state of the hobby right now, whether you want to talk about, you know, what you're seeing, what 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 the climate is like, you know, are we on a are we on an upswing? You know, and we talked earlier about growing the hobby and the whole 10xing thing and all that. But how do you feel the health of the hobby is right now? 
and moving forward through the end of 2023. Yeah, you know, when, and again, another reason why I go to these shows is to try to figure that out too. Just trying to get a feel, talk to a lot of people. Um, but my feeling is a hobby strong, uh, and you know, the community is strong. Uh, and I think you know we're, we are going through a transition, um, in addition to evolving and growing. Uh, but I think you know, for most of the people that I talk to, they're solid people, and they they have the best interest in that being the hobby. And so you know, and I think if you look at it from the from the you know from the Nationals perspective, um, we are growing it to include. I mean, I saw this. I saw this years ago, two, a couple of years ago, um, right before the pandemic, you know, in Chicago. We had a really strong Chicago show. And I saw a lot of families there. I saw mothers and daughters and grandmothers and grandfathers. And, and I saw that. And I saw we were strong. So the pandemic didn't really surprise me that much because I, you know, it wasn't that we were coming from weakness. We were coming from strength. And then after the pandemic, it just kind of, you know, the rocket ship took off. And I think, you know, where, where it falls, um, I still think we'll be in a position where we can say that we're strong. And I see a lot of international, like I mentioned earlier. Um, and, and I'm not talking about the, the big monies. I'm talking about just the, the average collector, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, South Korea or Shanghai or Australia, or wherever. I mean, it, the, the people are interested. Germany... Um, we had the whole team from Paris, the Paris card show come over uh, just to kind of, they wanted to participate in, in, in the show. I mean, they want to be part of it. And I think more and more people are doing that. But to answer your question, I think we have some solid people at the, at the home, you know, uh, uh, just like anything else, you know, with, with fanatics coming in. It's not so much, you know, that we, we need to be worried about it, but we just, you know, it, it's, it's one of those unprecedented thing, times where, you know, they're making inroads and they're finding out, they're experiencing and they're, you know, you know creating situations that they didn't may even have thought of. But uh, I, I think it's all for the good. I think we just got to stick to the road, uh, be positive and, you know, continue to just, you know, you know, support our local shows, support our regional shows and just be good people you know I, I don't like it when i see people you know the haters out there or just people talking about you know just just to be just to be heard i think everyone has uh situations where we just need to to move forward and everybody i think most people have the right intentions and and so i'm i'm excited about the hobby um i'm excited about what we we meaning the national are going to be doing but I'm also excited about what Fanatics is going to be doing. I'm excited about you know, you know people who are creating news like you, Jeremy, and, and others that are that are out there and connecting people, and, and that's the most important thing, which I love about it is the community. But it's connecting people, giving people a reason to to understand each other and and, and deal with each other and and. You know, kinder friendships and all that. So I, I, I'm very bullish on the on the on the on the uh, hobby right now. Well, good good to hear from someone in your position and uh, from your perspective. So, well, let's uh, let's wrap this up, Ray. Uh, thanks so much for the t- for this time, the storytelling. I didn't have to do too much tonight. This was an easy one for me. So 
thank you for uh, sharing your, your experiences with us. It's been really, really interesting. And I uh, want to say thank you to the chat for your comments, your questions. Uh, great, great showing from them as usual. Uh, and just I'll put it out there to the any final comments, get them into the chat really quick, you guys. Ray, give you an opportunity to say goodbye yourself and anything else you'd like to you'd like to mention before we we end this. No, I appreciate you having me on. Um, uh, and I, and I, again, I, lo I love that opportunity, and I look forward to again uh, communicating, meeting new people as the year goes year goes by, and and uh, see everybody at the nationals. All right. Well, appreciate that. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Mark Santucci. Appreciate that. All right, guys, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, again, no sports cards live on Saturday night for the next two Saturdays, unfortunately, but we'll be back the three three Saturdays from now. We will be having a few uh, shows in, in the interim here on the channel. Thank you, Perk. Preach says, always great to hear Ray's stories and insight. Yeah, you have a great night yourself, Perk. Thank you for being here. All right, guys, that's it. Have a great night, everybody. Thanks for joining and have, have a have a great week ahead. I'll be back on Monday for MC Mondays Live, of course. No after hours tonight, Mid-Atlantic. Thanks for the request, though, but not tonight, everybody. Again, have a great week ahead. Have a great couple weeks ahead. We'll, we'll, we'll see you back here soon. This episode of Sports Cards Live is over. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.